Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Thank you, Cam. It is good to see all of your beautiful faces this morning. God, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are holy. God, we thank you that you are all-powerful. God, we thank you that you have created everyone, you have created everything, you have a plan, you have a purpose. God, we invite you to come this morning. We open our hearts, we open our minds, we open our hands, and we say, God, come and fill us this morning. God, have your way. God, have your way. God, have your way and do what only you can do. So I want to invite you. We're going to jump into worship here. Let's celebrate the King of Kings. Well, good morning, church. In a minute here, we're going to do our morning announcements, but, uh, you know, we're singing about the miracles of God and what God does. And last Sunday, you know, we had a moment where, you know, uh, we started praying for hearts. Do you remember that moment? Well, this guy came into the service last week, and his heart was fluttering massively, and he wasn't doing too well. So I felt at one moment just to lay our hands on our hearts and to pray for hearts. And he said immediately he felt that flutter stop. And then a few seconds later, a few minutes later, it started to come back again. And all of a sudden it started to, you know, weigh on him a little bit. And then Barry came up just shortly after that and he prayed for healing over hearts. Well, this guy's had zero issues in the last week. Something shifted there in that moment, right? And so we're in that moment again right now. For whatever reason, God wants to go there now. And so there are people in this house right now who need a healing from God. And we're going to pause because he wants to do something. Go ahead. I don't care if it's your heart. I don't care if it's your head. Wherever it is that you need a healing, I'm going to ask you to put your hand on that part of your body. Because he wants to touch you right now. So, Father God, we thank you for the testimony. God, we thank you for the testimony in front of us. We give glory to the name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, Father, right now we pray as we're singing a song about the miracle maker. We pray that for each person, whether we're touching our guts, our hearts, our heads, our legs, our minds, or whether we're just thinking about somebody else right now or some situation. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ for healing. Can we claim that right now? We pray for healing in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to claim that right now. We claim that healing in Jesus Christ. Just ask him to come in and touch your bodies. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Today is also Palm Sunday, and I want Jen just to share a little bit before we go back into worship here. 
So this was my uh, devotion for today. Um, I follow something called Lectio 365. If you're looking for a good devotion, that's a great one. Um, And so I'm going to read to you just a little portion of that and what happened in my heart as I was just sort of reflecting on it. Um, And this, this is from John 12, 12 through 15. So the next day, the huge crowd that had arrived for the feast heard that Jesus was entering Jerusalem. They broke off palm branches, and they went out to meet him. And they cheered, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in God's name. Yes, the King of Israel! Jesus got a young donkey and rode it, just as the scripture has it. No fear, daughter Zion. See how your king comes riding a donkey's colt. And this is the reflection. Roman emperors would ride their finest stallions into a conquered city. Presidents today travel in vast armored cavalcades. But the king of kings sits humbly on a donkey and prepares to die. Uh, And what struck me was that Uh, when he was in heaven before he came to the earth he was king of kings he was lord of lords Uh, all the angels bowed before him and then he came to earth and instead of a crown he had a crown of thorns and instead of riding and cavalcade he rode on a donkey And instead of being clothed in beautiful robes, he got naked. And he was put on the cross. And he was humbled. And he took our sin on. And I'm thinking about how today's the day that I get to crown him. Today's the day that I get to clothe him with worship. Today's the day that I get to be on my knees and lay down my own crown before him. Today's the day that I get to call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Today's the day that we can lift him up above all men, above all kingdoms, above all authorities. Today is the day that we get to do that because he chose what he chose 2,000 some years ago. This is our opportunity. This moment today is that we may not have palms, but we have all of our strength. We have all of our heart. We have all of our souls. We have all of our worship to give to him. What an opportunity. In exchange for what he did, we get to worship him. And so we want to encourage you to not not give up, not waste this opportunity to clothe the King of Kings in the glory that he is due unto his name. Don't waste this opportunity to give all that you have unto the one who gave all that he has for you. And we do that now. So I'm going to ask you to just stand up on your feet and release your worship unto Jesus, our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords.
We spend a few minutes just declaring that he's holy. But you know, if we get a revelation of it for real, <laughs> we could do it for eternity. Did you know that? There are those in the throne room who just can't do anything but say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth be filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Day and night they just say, Holy, holy. Why? Because they have a revelation of his holiness. And it overwhelms them. And it continues to overwhelm them. They never get tired of it. It's never boring. Because every time they look again, they go, Holy, holy. Lord, give us a revelation. Give us a a glimpse. Mm. Let's just say that together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy is the Lord. There's something about being in the presence of God that changes everything. You know, I had an experience last weekend during our conference. We had a moment where all the leaders in the community came up to the front and we stood. And as a corporate body we chose to cover them to pray over them to bless them and something in that moment I can't even tell you what happened but when I came up here I I couldn't contain a love that was so deep inside of me I started walking up to guys I didn't even know when I was saying things that I was shocked I was saying but I felt this overwhelming love come over me that I had never felt before. And I went straight up to Mark, and I'm like, Mark, do you feel that? I can't contain this love that is in me. I felt it so strong. And the Lord said something to me. It's because you got a little closer. 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 Let me tell you something. There's something in us that we're all crying out for, and one of them is that. It is God, show me how to love. Let's just get a little closer to the king. Just get a little closer to the king. And something begins to transform in our very hearts. Jesus, we choose to come into your presence. I just want to tell you about a, a little testimony about what it means to come close to Jesus and the impact that that has on the atmosphere around you. I I had a client who is not a Christian have a full-on vision of Jesus Christ. And their trauma was immediately healed. And this was not when I was in the room with them. They were by themselves. There was no pastor there. There was no prophet there. They were by themselves. And imagine, imagine if that was happening all the time. Imagine if us getting closer to God and declaring his name holy and being so impacted by him that the atmosphere around us changes and people are encountering the holiness of Jesus Christ wherever they are. 
because the atmosphere is so rich with the presence of, of the holiness and the glory of God that the shadow, that our shadows impact the people around us. And I'm just thinking, I wouldn't need to be a counselor anymore. I'd be out of a job. We wouldn't have to worry about trauma, would we? So, let's move towards the presence of God. I'm going to ask us all, just for the next 15 seconds, just to stand up, and I'm going to get us all to say something. You can blame Barry for this. Any of you like how Barry ministered here? I love because the word says words carry the power of life and death, right? And as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And that's one of the reasons why Barry has people declaring things so often. Because words carry the power of life and death. And all I want us to say as we make this little transition is, Jesus, Jesus. I choose to get closer to you. Let's say it again. Jesus, I choose to get closer to you. One more time. Jesus, I choose to get closer to you. Can we say Amen. Now we got to live that one out, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate that. Thank you, Miranda. Isn't God good? Any of you have conference hangover from last week? A few do. I can tell our attendance is a little lower today, too. I'm like, there are a lot of people dealing with some conference hangover, I think. But you know what? God is in the house, and God is going to move today. And he's going to do some special stuff. So we got a uh, special speaker with us. How many of you know Bob Crocker? Bob Crocker is from the Fireplace Church in Stony Plain. It's over at Emmanuel Lutheran. They share the building together, and, which to me is just such an amazing thing because the Emmanuel Lutheran pastor, his name is Boyd Hopkins, and the three of us have quite a history. I'm not going to go too far into it, but let me just say this. I have had the privilege of walking with this guy and many other leaders in the community probably about 20-some years ago. We all joined together in a venture. We were all told it could not be done, and in some cases by our senior leaders. Right, Kathy? They said that unity is too tough. To bring all the churches together, there's no way... That's what they said. We were young and maybe a little bit dumb, but something inside of us said, nah, I think we can do this because we heard something from the Lord. Now, you got to think about this. you got Community Church, which is a Pentecostal church. We had another church out of Edmonton join us called Gospel Center. Some of you are familiar with that. We had another church called Emmanuel Lutheran Church of Rosenthal, a bunch of Lutheran brothers. 
it doesn't really make sense for necessarily these three groups to get together to start, but they did. And then all of a sudden, we got connected in with the Lighthouse Church, and we got connected in with the next church, and the next church, and the next church, and the next church. And I don't know how many churches came on board. There was a lot. But we had between three and 500 people showing up at our events once a month from every denomination. It is still impacting the community. Bob was just telling me this morning, he ran into somebody, right, who told him they received their call when they were at outbreak. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And they're now a pastor, right? And they're now a pastor. Let me tell you something. I'm so glad that we chose to fight together because we saw the Lord do some powerful things in our community. But let me tell you something else. Now we're all a little bit older. And we all have this crazy thought in our heads. And the crazy thought is, maybe it's not just the youth who can do this. Maybe it's the adults too. Maybe it's all the churches in the community. Maybe we can actually learn how to get through some of our differences and choose to honor one another, choose to love one another, and choose to fight for one another. Right? Let me tell you something. Spruce Grove Community Church will fight for the Fireplace Church. Amen? We will stand for this church. We will stand for Pastor Bob, right? Because we believe in him and we believe in the call that is upon his life, right? So I'm honored to introduce him because I know he's going in a direction that we can say yes to. And I know the call of Jesus is upon his life. This is an honor for me to introduce Bob Crocker. Let's welcome him to Community Church. Amen. Well, it's an honor to be here this morning, and um, I'm excited for what God's going to do. Um, when Chris and I go way back, and, and I don't know, I think you guys were just newly married back then, definitely before kids, and none of us knew what we were doing, and uh, still don't know what I'm doing. Um, I had a prophetic word one time, and the prophetic word was, you're good at nothing. I'm going, Thank you. That's why you have to rely on the Holy Spirit. You know, and it's, I think that's a good place to be. I, I received that word. I don't, I don't want to rely on my strengths. I wasn't very good in school. I mean, if I, if I didn't have football in high school, I would have never made it through high school. Um, I, I love football and I love sport. I told Chris, you know what? I'm going to wear my Leafs jersey here this morning. See, we're not totally united because Oiler fan. Any, is there any Leaf fans out there? Come on, I was just at, I was at the game this year, in the, in the, in the, and there was more Leaf fans there there was Oiler fans. That's just the truth. We got kicked. McDavid definitely was the best player on the ice. But anyway, um, it, <laughs> it was good. So I grew up in a, a pretty simple home. I'm, my dad was a, a pastor. He was military. And then a uh, big family. There's 10 of us. And I'm number eight. And you know why number eight's good? Because David was number eight in his family. And my na- second name is David. And so out of 10 kids, eight of us actually went into 
would have got you know full time ministry of some sort, and uh, so um, you know we we just grew up, and my mom had a grade three education. She was the first white twin that was born up north in Alberta, and and uh, they would have put her and her sister out in the front window so the natives can come by and see these two white girls. So she grew up in the bush, and you know we'd hear the stories and. As a kid, you'd kind of go, Mom, I don't know if you could still do it. So we'd go snag a, a squirrel, and we wanted to see if she could gut it and hang it out. And she, yeah, did it like no problem. And, um, but she was, uh, she was my first mentor. And I tell people all the time, I saw my mom drunk in the Holy Ghost at home before I saw it in the church. My mom had such a simple faith. It wasn't complicated. And she just believed. And she would pray and things would happen. My sister's cat get run, run over, dead, no problem. Mom prays for the cat and the cat comes back to life. I grew up in such an atmosphere like that, I thought everybody did. It wasn't until I got older and started talking and kind of going, really, you haven't seen any miracles? We'd see miracles all the time. It's just the culture. You know, I... <laughs> I'm not going to be happy with this unity thing, Chris, until a Baptist and a Pentecostal hug. And I have no problem. I I meet with pastors on Tuesday morning, and I'm kind of the only charismatic one there. And um, but I love talking with them, and I have no problems about speaking in tongues. I don't have any problems talking to them about speaking in tongues. If it wasn't for speaking in tongues in a little church in Carberry, Manitoba. On a hot summer night, or day, when back then, no air conditioning, nothing, leave the windows open, front door open, and what was the custom back in those days, they had a lot of tongues and interpretation of tongues. That was big in Pentecostal churches back in those days. So every Sunday, we would hear tongues and then waiting for somebody and if my mom did it, she was a pretty quiet lady, but when the Spirit of God hit her, she was like, wow! And our hair would stand up on her arms. Anyway, on this, I'm a rebellious teenager at this time, and I'm just going to church because my dad's the pastor, and I have to. <laughs> so we're there, but all of a sudden on this, on this Sunday, somebody goes off in tongues. And all of a sudden, this Chinese guy comes running into the church. And they, whoever spoke in tongues spoke perfect Mandarin, exactly what he knew. And he just happened to be coming by the church on this hot summer day at that time that the word went out. And he came in and got saved. Wow. So don't tell me we shouldn't speak in tongues in church. Right. <laughs> you don't know if it's a tongue of men. Our tongues of angels. And we need to be Pentecostal. Community church, you got to be Pentecostal. The community around, they need you to be Pentecostal. If you're not Pentecostal, you're not doing what God's called you to do. The area is missing something. And God wants to, he wants to restore that. So that's how I, that's how I grew up. You know that. Ken, I was... You were on my heart this week when I knew I was going to be here. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You're like Nathaniel. And Jesus said, I see no deceit in him. And I just see there's a purity inside of, of you. And you are going to see dimensions of what God is doing in these days. You haven't seen nothing yet for what God is going to do. I just see there's something deeper that is going to come in. Because God trusts you. Because he looks down and he sees there's a man with a pure heart. And the Bible says that they will see God. First time I think I ever saw Ken back in the day when we did, remember we had did joint um, leaderships from Lighthouse. My background is Lighthouse, just so you know. Um, I know there's lots of stories about how Lighthouse started. I don't care. <laughs> um, but anyway, we would come. And, I, and that was the first time I really saw intercession fall on you, Ken, that day when we were in, I thought, oh my goodness, what is wrong with this guy? I think I looked at Chris and kind of going, is he okay? And, uh, but I really believe that the Lord was showing you things that was about to happen. Because when God has his purity there, when there's some defilement and things around, there is going to be a reaction. I think it's a gift to the body of Christ. You need it. Because there's things that are going to happen. We're going to get into that this morning. We're going to do that. A number of years ago, I, I, I started, well, last year, actually, not a number of years ago. Last year, I went into a deep study on Israel, how they became a nation, and how they, they're coming out of the the wilderness into the promised land, and I was just fascinated with this. And so I would go to the scriptures, and I started to just suck it dry because I knew that the Lord was wanting to show me something. And it wasn't very long into that when the Lord spoke this to me, and he says, when the walls come down, you get a Rahab. When the walls go back, you get a Jezebel. And saying, Lord, what are you saying? Rahab means overcome. And like what was said this morning, when, when we are overcome with him, and the walls come down, that's when we become overcomers. You cannot be an overcomer unless you're first overcome with him. Rahab had the ability to see what was happening on the other side of the wall. They didn't know what was happening on the other side of the wall. They were trying to figure out to fulfill what God wanted them to do. But they had no idea on the other side of the wall. The enemy was terrified of them. See, this is what wall does. Is it blocks that view. We can't see what the enemy is seeing. And the enemy, I want you to know this morning, that he is actually terrified of the church. I'm loud. I'm Pentecost. This is how they used to do it. I'm not a hellfire and brimstone, but I'm a passionate guy. And God is calling for the church to wake up. If you only knew on the other side of the wall, they're terrified, they're scared. They had no idea because they can't see through the walls, but Rahab did. She knew what was going on. 
Do you know there's skeletons in the lineage of Jesus? Rahab is there. There's skeletons in the closet. What are you worried about your skeletons in your closet? Jesus had them. Everybody talks about Jezebel this, Jezebel that. Jezebel's powered when the walls go up. And the walls begin to go up at the height of the history of Israel. When Solomon and all this splendor and everything... Is it possible that in North America, in the height of our prosperity and everything that we've experienced of all the blessing of God, is it possible that we are making the same mistake that Solomon did? Here's the number one issue in the church. It's idolatry. So what it was for Solomon, it's for the church today. It's idolatry. We allow idols to come in. And eventually these idols will come in and what they do is they form walls and these walls go up. Joshua prophesied to the people, do not rebuild these walls. 350 years later, walls go up. Jezebel appears. Here's the thing. If the walls were down, Jezebel could have been a Rahab. Hmm. Could have been a Rahab if the church isn't encountering him. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go further along in that journey. We're going to go to Joshua 14 today. And we're going to start, pick this up in Joshua 14. Huh. So I'm just going to read off my iPad, I usually like to read from my Bible, but I think I'm just going to stick to my iPad. I'm old school. I, I, like, I like the Bible, the written word, and uh, I'm going to do that. But I'm going to pick it up in Joshua 14. Are you ready? Okay. Here he says in verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, servant of the Lord, sent to me from Kadesh Barna to spy out the land and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made um, the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trotted shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, These 45 years, caring something for 45 years. And some of you have been caring something for a long time. So I've been carrying it for 45 years ever since the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. Chris, this is good news for us old guys. I love Caleb. He's one of he's fast became one of my favorite Old Testament characters because he has spunk. He has fire. And he's tenacious enough never to give up on what God said he's going to do. Oh, he says now I'm 85 years old and yet I am as strong this day as a day 
that Moses sent me just as my strength was then, so is now my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. And here's what I want you to get a hold of right now. This is what he says. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Love it. 85 years old. For more than half of his life, he's carrying the promises of God. And people say to me, Chris, oh, it's terrible what's happening in Canada right now. Oh, with all the, the things that are going on and the prime minister and, and all this stuff. And I want you to know today, it took two people from a generation that were willing to make a difference. And they were carrying something. Let's do the math here. Million Jews in the wilderness, approximately. That's what they would they, they estimate there were. And two people from a generation. Well, Ken, if there's 40 million people in Canada, and you do the math of two, that means 80 people. Is there more than 80 believers in Canada? There's more than 80 believers in this building right now. We don't have it as bad as what Joshua and Caleb did. Oh, Joshua and Caleb. Hmm. Caleb's carrying this. I preached a message and I entitled it Second. Second. How many seconds are in the Bible? Jacob was second to Esau. Isaac was a second to Ishmael. David was a second king of Israel. And Jesus was the second The world says you have to be first. We live in an upside down kingdom, folks. It ain't about being first. We know who's first. And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is now sitting on the throne. But we are in Christ, so where are we? We're there too. It's no wonder John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. What the world says, be number one, step on anybody's toes in order to get there. And I think sometimes that's crept into the church. And over the years, Chris, back in the day, a youth pastor was just a starting point. You want to be a youth pastor, you want to be a lead pastor. Kids from 12 to 19 years old could go through five youth pastors. They come from divorced homes. They shouldn't come to the church and have to experience divorce. Who's called to do it? Gotta be number one. Gotta be first. It's not how the kingdom of God works. It's not about being first. Be second. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Hmm, I don't have to step on anything. I think Caleb had to deal with this. He wasn't picked to be the leader. Joshua was picked to be the leader. But it never waned on Caleb. He hung on to this. He hung on to this his whole life and for these 45 years. Let me ask you a question. What tribe did Joshua and Caleb come from? 
Anybody know? Don't look on your phones. No cheating. A lot of people will think that Joshua came from the tribe of Judah, but he didn't. He came from the tribe of Ephraim. Caleb came from the tribe of Judah. Why is that significant? I'm going to tell you, we were grafted in before we were grafted in what we read in the New Testament. That chapter talks about Caleb was a Kenzanite. Do you know Kenzanites were Gentiles who were grafted in to the tribe of Judah? So you could say the two people that went in to the promised land was a Jew and a Gentile. God always had the plan that we would be one family. It's in the Old Testament. I'm talking Old Testament here. I'm not talking the New Testament. I'm talking the Old. This is what God did. Here's what is, is the name of his father. and You can read it. I'm not going to try to pronounce these nice Hebrew <laughs> words. But I will tell you, in Hebrew, the word Rahab is actually in a verse in um, Proverbs where it says, I was overcome with him. Yeah, I was over Rahab of him. But here's what the father means. His, his, the name of his father means he will behold. He was a Kenzanite, which means possession. Caleb was destined to possess land in the promised land, to come into the promise that he would behold him. I'm a real big names guy. Because names speak to us about identity. This, this is why every name, and you will see even in the New Testament, sometimes he's called Jesus Christ, and sometimes he's called Christ Jesus. What's the emphasis on either one? Because sometimes you need him as Savior, and sometimes you need to know him as the Anointed One. Names are important. When we look, and, and, and watch why there's an attack in society right now on fathers. Was that your kids up there with you today? Way to go, Dad. They would never let you get away with that in the old days. But it's a new day now. Let the kids come. Let the kids come. We got we got my boys. My son's preaching in our church today. I think this is awesome. Dad's preaching in Spruce Grove. My son's preaching in. I said to Josh, I should have phoned and get another church and you could have went and spoke. Both my boys preach. They have the call of God in their life. I never told them they had to do it. I knew they were going to do it. I knew it. Because the Lord showed me when they were kids. But I never forced it on them, Chris. Never forced them. I let them figure it out. And some of their journey along the way to figuring that out was kind of scary. But this is where you're going to trust God. Man, I, I, I don't even care about preaching anymore. I joke and say I only do it because my wife makes me. <laughs> I love listening to my boys preach. I love when they get, they challenge me again. My son, my oldest son, he gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning, he has to be work at 7, 5, because he wants to spend an hour with the, with the Lord before he goes to work. I never told him to do that. He's just doing it. But he tells me, he says, Dad, I get rid of all social media. I don't want to listen to that stuff anymore. It's too distracting. I want to get off. Deleted it all. Got rid of it all. 
Dad still has it. He got rid of cable, said, don't want that anymore. Why? Don't watch it anymore anyway. And did all this stuff. I never made him do it. Did it himself. But they're, they're, they're pushing me, Chris. They're pushing me. There's a fire inside of them. But this is what they would tell you. All my growing up years, all I remember is my dad was down on the floor. When Archie came to, to Lighthouse, and I, w- I went through a season, man, I just I couldn't get up off the floor, die. I just couldn't. I tried sometimes, couldn't do it, but it really wasn't, you know, the, you know well, who's the pastors here? Oh, hi, there's Archie. Where's the other one? He's over there on the floor. And people would come up to me and go, I wonder if he's into third heaven. What? Third heaven? We, we, we use that phrase, to, I think we need to be a little bit careful how we use that phrase. Because Paul the Apostle kind of said, I knew a man. He didn't say, it was me. Paul, Jesus' favorite apostle. No. He says, I knew a man. He's humble enough to kind of go, you know what, don't bring the attention to the experience. Get what the experience gives. Get the revelation. Who cares about the experience? So people go, I wonder if he's in the third heaven. I kind of want you to get down on the floor with me. I just wanted to be with him. This is that simple. I wasn't looking for a third heaven experience. I wasn't looking that I could come up and give a prophetic word to somebody. And I know I'm in a prophetic church, but that's not the intent of what I was doing. I just wanted to be with him. That's all. Simple. It's not complicated. I just wanted to be with him. And I would spend days and days of soaking and just spending times in the presence of God. Whether anybody's in the building or not, didn't matter to me. I didn't care. I just, I was hungry. I think Caleb had a little bit of that. You know, one of the names of Caleb means faithful, wholehearted, bold, or brave. But here's another meaning of the name Caleb. Chris, you will like this one. It means dog. D-O-G. Now, we're sporting guys. We both know every team that you've been on, there's always a few dogs. You know what dogs are? They never give up. They don't know how to practice versus game speed. Everything is the same to them. There is no difference. It's 100% all the time, whether I'm in practice or not. You see, veterans on my son's high school team, he broke his collarbone in practice because a dog was on defense. And he didn't know that you lighten up on the vets and don't know. He drove him into the ground and broke his collarbone. The dogs, they, they're just tenacious, man. They just go and they just go and they just go. And, and, and I think God's looking for a few dogs in the church that are going to be tenacious enough like Caleb that can go. He was not using his old age as an excuse. He's saying to the younger generation, I'm just as spunky as I was back then as I am now. The fire has not gone out and I'm going to go. I think we need to raise the bar up. I tell my boys all the time, I said, I'm going to be on so on fire for God that I'm going to be a launching pad for you to take off. I'm not going to get old gracefully. Come on. <laughs> I've seen too many pastors do that, Ken. It's too many. They think they're old now and they just, they just stop. How do you stop? I don't get it. I don't get, how do you stop, Chris? I don't think this is a thing where you look for retirement. 
I think there is no retirement. We've got a whole eternity to retire and spend time with Jesus. Now we're in the midst of a fight. And with the, the church needs some more dogs to raise up right now. Like Caleb that is going to be determined that he's going to go in. But what separated Caleb? Well, Numbers 14 tells us, but my servant Caleb, this is a different story. He has a different spirit. What were the rest of them doing? Murmuring and complaining in the wilderness. Doubting. I I asked the Lord, "How how did those guys do it? When they're surrounded by all the murmuring and complaining. But the Bible says that Caleb, he had a different spirit. He chose his words carefully, Chris. He wasn't going to, he knew that there was, the tongue has life or death in it. And so he was not going to be like, when he hears the report, he's thinking, what are you talking about? (laughs) What are you talking about? We can, we can take, we got this. Why? Because God is on our side. Canada, we got this. God is on our side. People say, well, if this government gets in, we're going to go into persecution. Have you read your Bible? (laughs) The church thrives in persecution. Have you read what we call the faith chapter in Hebrews? We like the first part, but the end part where it says they were sawn in two. But it makes a statement like this, the world didn't deserve them. You want to leave a legacy that the world does not deserve you? It's not about faith anyway, Chris. It's about perseverance. Read the previous chapter, chapter 10. We were, oh, it's a faith. No, it's not. It's about persevering. Every one of them had to persevere in it. It just didn't think one day and just wake up and go, oh, look at faith. They persevered in it. They battled. They fought. (laughs) They did not give up. They were tenacious in this thing. Caleb had a different story, a different spirit. What was the place that he was possessing? Hebron. Hebron means a place of alliance. This is why it's critical that the church needs to align. We have to come together. We have to to put down our differences and all that. But when when he was saying, this mountain, this mountain is mine, he was looking at Hebron. What's the history of Hebron? Well, it wasn't always called Hebron. It had another name. And that other name meant place of four giants. And we, we know from Genesis 6 and Chris, you should preach that. What are the sons of God and the daughters? Are the, yeah, daughters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Oh, yeah. There's giants. And there's giants hidden here. But let me tell you about the first giants that were there. They weren't demonic giants. That wasn't the original um, um, well, that was holding that ground. Abraham went and bought some land at Hebron. Here's the four giants that were buried there, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if Jews, the Jews believe that that is where Adam was buried too. They believe that that was the gateway to the Garden of Eden. 
at this place. And so what he was doing there, he was actually going back and taking back what was already God's. But even though there's demonic strongholds that were there, and these these demonic strongholds were giants that were there, this 85-year-old guy knew what God's plan was for this place. Hebron was a powerful place because when David was becoming king of Israel, it was at Hebron. Where his kingdom was established. Well, we want to go to Jerusalem. We want to go to Zion. Well, you have to go through Hebron before you get there. There needs to be an alliance, a coming together. And I told Chris, I said this, I am, since our outbreak days with what happened with us back then, I'm, 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 I'm really encouraged right now that this is the greatest potential in the history. I've been here 30 years in this area. This is, I would say, the best time, I said, for pastors, lead pastors to come together. This is, the, this is it right now. We're on the verge of it, connecting. I'm connecting with Baptist guys. They'll ask me questions like, Bob, I noticed you online and you were kind of drunk in the Holy Spirit. Well, they're word guys, so just go to the word. What was Jesus' first miracle? What was the last thing that he did? They came out of the upper room, said, they're, they're drunk. Peter didn't say they weren't drunk. He just said, we're not drunk like you think we're drunk. Right. Sandwiched at the beginning, at the end. You know what they said to me? That makes sense. <laughs> just went to the word. You don't have to be a theologian. Well, the Greek breakdown of this word is... <sighs> Just go to his first miracle, to the last thing, everything in between. When I worked at the Tri-Leisure, Chris, worked with a lot of young kids, and they'd ask me questions all the time. They'd go, Bobby, are you a drinker? And I said, no, I'm not a drinker. Comes with a hangover one Saturday, and they used to like to go hide out in the change rooms because they would go dark, and they just wouldn't move, so it'd stay dark. He said, oh man, like last night, was totally rad, man. Like I totally got wasted. Bob, you ever been drunk? Yeah, I've been drunk. What? You said you never drank before. I said, you ever go to the liquor store and see what is written on it? Beer, yep. Wine, yep. Spirits. And I go, guess what? I know the Holy Spirit. You do? Ben, they, they loved it. I'd say that in church and they'd go. And <laughs> <laughs> he's following me around work. He would be off and all of a sudden he's following me around. He wants to talk about this stuff. I said, man, I never had a hangover once in my life. Yeah, no. No, actually, I kind of wake up feeling a lot better than I did before. I am not ashamed because it's part of the gospel. I'm going to totally get wasted and wrecked on the Holy Ghost. I'm going to let my life just be absorbed with His presence because I know I am nothing without Him. Nothing. Caleb, he gets it. He goes and Hebron is his, but here's what he did. He didn't just take it down for himself 
But he taught the next generation to do it. And he put a prize up. You got a daughter? Whoever takes it gets to marry Chris's daughter. No, just kidding. But that's what Caleb did. Whoever takes down... I read up on that and the historians believe that that was his, actually his only daughter. He only had one. Do you know who the first judge of the book of Judges is? Caleb's son-in-law. Caleb left the legacy. He just didn't go take down giants. He taught others how to take down giants. We've got to teach the next generation to take down some giants. And the generation that's so entitled and they just think they should get what you get and going to go, you haven't paid the price what I had to pay for what I got. It's been a lot of sweat, tears, and hard work at times. But to be tenacious in it. People look at me and they say, you're crazy. You've been talking revival for years and we haven't seen it. Well, Caleb waited 45 years and I'm going to keep on talking it. I'm going to keep on living it. I'm going to keep inspiring it in. And if I don't see it, I'm going to give it to my boys that they will carry it in their generation. We got to be determined that we are going to see. Here's what revival does. I'm not happy filling my church. I want to fill up every church in the area. I want to get into church planting. I want to sit down with Chris and kind of go, oh, dude, like, we need to start churches. Who do you got that's ready? Who can take a... We need to think differently. I asked the Lord a while ago, but there's so much division, so much movement in this area. And I said, Lord, what's this with all this division? Here's what the Lord said to me. He goes, Bob, you and I see division totally different. I'm thinking, okay. He goes, there's different divisions in an army. And I got to move my people around to get into the right division. Because I'm assembling the army. He said, why do you always look at everything so negative? God's still on the throne. He's just moving pieces around on the table to get the best bang for his buck. No, we look at things because we look too much stuff in the flesh and we don't look at it through the Spirit. Our news is full of negativity and people are so drawn to it. Caleb and Joshua are the most positive, believing, faithful men on fire who's going to carry it in. And you and I get the opportunity in the history of this nation. Are we willing to stand up and go like this with her mouth from all the negative talk and all the cursing and the death that we speak out with it and choose to speak life. I'll tell you why I believe that speaking in tongues is the evidence of being baptized in the Spirit because James, the book of James tells us 
This tongue, unruly, (laughs) it does a lot of damage. And so the Spirit of God says, yeah, well, it's mine now. It's my tongue. It's not your tongue anymore. We need to start preaching that Jesus is not just our Savior. He is our Lord. You don't own yourself. I don't own me. He owns me. I belong to Him. I am in Him. Everything I have is because I'm in Christ. I am not my own Lord. Jesus is my Lord. A 19-year-old kid come to our church, had everybody come up praying, and he thought he was up there because his girlfriend's mom was in the church, and you know, kind of probably want to make her happy, go up, go up to the front, let the pastor pray for him. So I pray for him, nothing, Chris, nothing. He just takes it. He leaves, he walks out. I don't know if he went out to the foyer, if he went out into the parking lot, but something spoke to him and said, get back in there. So he comes back in. Chris, this is why this word that you have about the church needs fathers and mothers, this is why. This story here for a 19-year-old kid. He comes in, Ben, and he comes up and he's crying. So I know that, okay, something's going on here. So I, I said, what's going on? And he says to me, my father died two years ago and I shut down. But I came in here today and I felt something. I felt something. Now, the old days, you know what I would have done? I would have got in there and said, well, have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? (laughs) No. Let him feel something. Tell my Baptist friends all the time. The church has done it backwards. We think good doctrine brings about experience. No. Look at the New Testament. Experience. Then good doctrine comes. I'm all for good doctrine. We need the Spirit and the Word. We need both. But let's not get them backwards. People need to experience that God is alive in this generation more than anything. Because they've been told that God is dead. He doesn't exist. He's just a fad. That's what people do because they're weak. And they they don't know how to get any strength. They don't believe it. So let them come and experience. The next Sunday, I call up everybody under 40. I'm giving it away, Chris. I'm at that stage of life right now. I ain't fooling around anymore. I'm going to give everything that I have. I'm just going to pour it out. I'm going to say, you come up here, and we're going to give it away. And we start laying in hands, and everybody, I didn't even preach yet, and, and so everybody goes down and sits down, and here's that kid still standing there. I say, what's going on? He says, I'm vibrating. And I just said, Lord, give him more. My two boys are right up there like... It's not on a doorknob, man. They're just like, somebody's vibrating with God. Yes, let's go and release some more. My, my youngest son, Josh, man, he's got fire. He comes across as this quiet, gentle kind of a guy. But when the Spirit of God gets on him, he scares me. <sighs> Let them experience him. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever tell us that we're supposed to sell Jesus. This is what the early church did. They saw it on you. What must I do to be saved? Let them out there for a while, I say. Let's not rush this. Let them experience Jesus for a while. Let them, let, let them sit out there and expect. Why are we rushing them in? We pick green fruit. Let, let's, let it ripen a little bit. Let him experience him. Let him, let him, let Jesus reveal himself and show them because the world has given them another narrative. Yes. 
this kid, he's going to bring them all in. He's already telling his friends right now. See, man, I'm going to go to church, man. I felt something there. Chris, you're going to have to help me. I don't know what I'm going to do if all these 19, 20-year-olds come. And I, my heart aches for that. My heart aches for the youth. It aches. It aches. That's why I was so thrilled about Asbury, about what God did there. It's, it's 25 and under. When they're being told, well, you can be whatever you want to be. You want to be a boy, you can be a boy. You can be a girl, you can be a girl. If you want to be a tree, you can be a tree. Tell them, my kids, you go to school, tell them I'm going to identify as Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> What's the teacher going to do? I'm fulfilling their narrative. That's what they want. So I'm going to act like Jesus here. You can't kick me out. Because <laughs> that's how I identify. There's some over there identifying as cats. Why can't I identify as Jesus? <laughs> this is what Paul did when he went to Athens. Looking at all these statues and gods and all that. He comes across one and he knows this is my inn. The unknown. Let me tell you about the unknown God. Well, the apostle did it. Why can't we do it? Look for an inn. Don't get all offended. Kind of go to all there like. No. Look for an inn. We got we to gotta, we gotta be um, on this thing. We got to be determined. That we're gonna we're gonna do this thing, no matter if we get a response or not. Be determined. I'm gonna do it. Cause that's what Caleb did. Forty five years, and the dude never lost his fire. Gonna go. Well, God, if Caleb could do that, I'm 58 now. I'm a little bit older. I'm 58 now. But, uh, I think I'm gonna. I think Caleb. Yeah. I think I'm just going to burn bright for him. Burn bright. Like I, when my, my, my family, when we'd go through a prayer line, all four of us just hit the ground. <laughs> I said, the family that shakes together stays together. <laughs> oh, I wanted them hungry. Hungry, hungry, hungry. And you want your kids hungry, hungry, hungry. You don't want them to heed to a set of ways of tradition that we do things. No, you want them to experience. You want them to encounter God. Here's what my wife and I say. The world deserves to have an encounter with God. My wife started praying. She's getting crazy with this stuff, Chris. She started praying. We're praying against woke and blah, blah, blah. My wife starts crying. I go, what's going on? She goes... But the people that are, that are duped in this stuff, the leaders of it, she says, I believe there's an Paul the Apostle that's going to come out of that group. Amen. <sighs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now we've got to start looking. Who is God going to set up? Paul, who was throwing them all in jail, became one of them. Who is it going to be? somebody <laughs> that God has his hand on right now and they just haven't been revealed but God is going to reveal because he's going to show up in their life and he's going to totally change them and they're going to come out with another narrative why not I told Jen before today I said listen I'm not a I'm not a faith preacher I'm a hope preacher but I found out that you, 
In order for faith to work, it needs hope. In order for hope to work, it needs faith. Yeah. <laughs> you, could, you could confuse them in the scripture because they got some things that are very similar. They both have to do with trust. But here's the difference about faith and hope. Faith is based from the past, from the cross. Hope is based on the future. Faith and hope work together. Because hope says, I don't see it yet, but I will. This all came to me when I was sick. And I was dying. My liver was shot. Go to the hospital and say, oh, I'm sorry, pastor, but there's people that come in here every day. We don't know what they got, and they just die. Well, that's encouraging. Thanks, doc. <laughs> Appreciate it. We don't know what you got. It's an autoimmune something. It's not on our books. We don't understand, but your, your enzyme levels in your liver are like over 2,000, normal is about 50. And they said, your liver's damaged. You're in your 40s. If you're going to get a transplant, you better get it right away because once you hit 45, 50, you're on the other side and you're not as important. Wasn't that exciting? <laughs> oh, Lord, do I pray that my liver gets better or do I pray that it gets worse so it could get a liver transplant? The only thing you can do, and a prophet prophesied two weeks before this again, and this is what they said to me. I just see that God's bringing you into a season of rest. I thought, Hawaii, here I come. <laughs> I was looking, who's going to pay for the ticket? Somebody's coming forward because the prophet said I'm going into time of rest. Well, when you have a bad liver, guess what? All, that, all you can do is rest. Rest. Go home, do nothing. I was in the middle of of one of those youth conferences that we did up in the Alliance one years ago. I had to quit, stop it. My wife had to pick up the pieces and do it. But here's what happened. I'm at home by myself. Kids are not around. And I just started talking out loud to the Holy Spirit. And I was beating the tar out of myself because I thought, man, I just don't have enough faith. Man, my mom had faith. Dead cast came alive. My brother has faith that he'd fall off his roof, break his arm, and two days later, his arm's fine. I go, what's wrong with my faith? How come I, how come I don't have faith? So I'm kind of whining in this, Chris, for a while, and the Lord speaks to me. This is not a faith issue. This is a trust issue. Really? And he said, went on to say, Bob, if you let me, I'm going to release something inside of your life but you have to trust me. You have to walk this journey. He said, I could heal you right now if that's what you really want. I can do a miracle and heal you right now. But if you trust me, I'm going to release something in your life. And this is what I began to pray, Chris. And I'm glad nobody else around, especially the Baptists, because they would say this is terrible theology. <laughs> don't heal me! Don't heal me! Don't heal me! <laughs> that's when I started doing Why? Because I wanted to trust him. He said he was going to release something inside of my life. I didn't know what it is. I didn't know what he was going to do. But I, I was just decided I'm going to trust him. So God, yeah, don't heal me right now. I'm willing to walk this journey. Yeah, good. 
he walked this journey, and I was on such high levels of prednisone and, and other things that they did. And they said, oh, your, your bone density, they bring me in. They said, your bone density is going to be down at least 30%. That's what we're hopeful, but it's probably more because of the high dosage you go. They do a bone density test, and guess what? My bones are 100%. Still have the thing with the liver. <laughs> and then they bring me in for a biopsy of the liver. And he's, he's trying to, you know what, you know, get ready because we might have to do something here. We have to do a transplant. While I'm in his office, the guy from the lab phones up to the doctor and said, something's wrong. Well, what's wrong? This sample that you gave us cannot be the liver, what you're telling us. Well, what do you mean? This liver is completely fine. There's nothing wrong with it. So I guess transplant is off the list, but I still have this thing. The doctors are scratching their head. God, how can your liver be fine? How can your bone density be fine? We, we, we do blood tests, and we know that something's still wrong with your liver, but there's nothing there. He used to like bringing his interns into the office when I was there because he would show them my file and said, what is Mr. Crocker's, what is wrong here? And they'd go, well, he was obviously a heavy drinker. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, yes, Holy Spirit, but they say he never drank alcohol, he's not a drinker. He said, and then he'd, he'd ball him right in front of me, then he'd laugh with me in the office after they leave and kind of go, I set that guy up. Of course I knew he was going to say that. I'm going to teach him, this is how you get sued when you assume. So I did this journey in 10 years. I was on meds and finally I had this old doctor and he said in the beginning, he says, you know what, I think you should do a sabbatical. Let's try going off drugs. I've been off drugs for like 15 years. I'm on nothing. But here's what God instilled inside of my heart. And this is what I have for you today. Hope. Hope. Some of you have kids that are no longer in church. They're not with you here today. They're, they're outside of the walls and they're doing who knows what. And along the journey, see, hope is very, very contagious. But there's areas in our life where we do have hope for. But then there's areas that we just decided, I just got to put this over there. But he's wanting to unite hope for you today. And the Lord told me to tell you, your kids are coming back. Your kids are coming back. The Lord says the story has not been written yet. <laughs> you're, just, you're just partway into the book, man. <laughs> The story has not been written yet. And the Lord says, I'm going to bring back my children into the church. I'm going to bring wayward children back into the church. And God is going to restore them. But he's not going to do it because you think you have a part in that. If I just tell them about Jesus more. If I just tell them what's going on in church. Maybe they will come. No, you just turn them off. See, there's only two kingdoms, light and darkness. If they choose darkness, let them be as dark as they can until they finally embrace the light. My son was suicidal. I had to let him go. Let him go. That was hard. 
had to have a tough conversation with him, Jen. He wanted to travel around Europe with his girlfriend. And I said, dude, I said, I don't know. Let me go back over the house rules here. I own this house. This is not what we do. So if you want to travel all over Europe with your girlfriend, I guess that means you're moving out. He goes, I'm not moving out. You're kicking me out. I said, no, no, no. You're making big boy decisions now. You're on your own. That's what big boys do. And this is a decision. You know what happened? He gets over there. Three o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call. <laughs> oh, Dad, you were right. That was wrong. I said, it's not about being who's right and wrong. He says, I'm coming home. And Dad, I did not sleep with her. See, when they were 13 years old, and I encourage every parent in here, do a Gentile barvinsa. What does that mean? I took my boys when they were 13. I didn't have no clue. I heard this is what Jews did. So I didn't do the research on what they do because we're not Jewish, we're Gentile. But we're gonna, my wife and I decided, okay, we're going to make this. At 13 years old, I said to my wife, it has to cost us dearly. What do they want? My, my oldest son wanted a chain. My youngest son wanted a ring. And I said, it has to cost us where we go, ouch. And then we had people that were important in their life to come, prophesied over them, speak over them. And I would give that to them at that time. And I'm saying, this is a thing of purity that you have. And I want you to look at it every time because temptation will come. And you'll look down at that ring or you'll look down at that chain and you'll go, no, I made, a, I made an agreement with my father and my mother that I will not do it. Well, I'm at this side of it now. I got to do their weddings. And guess what happened in the wedding? With my oldest son, he took off the chain. And he says, Dad, I have fulfilled my vow. I gave it to his wife. And I said, you can break it tonight. My youngest son, he takes off the ring. And he says, Dad, I have fulfilled my vow. I give it to his wife. And I said, tonight, you can break it. She comes from a non-Christian home. Her parents are kind of like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> I got up and proudly my son was okay. That I got up and I said, my son what Christians would tell me, Chris, they go, oh, Bob, just give up on that dream. They're all going to experience in sex. See how far we've lowered the standard? Of course God forgives. He forgave me. I wasn't a virgin when I got married. But my sons were. They're going to raise the standard. But you don't do it through rules and regulations. You do it because of encounter with Him. Be overcome by Him. When we're overcome by Him, we do it because I don't want to make Him sad. I love Him that much. When they love Him that much, this is the generation that's coming up. They're going to redefine holiness. This is going to be a holy generation. They're going to be so determined in this, they're going to say, no, I'm not going to do that, man. Remember Bobby Sullivan? Yeah. He'd go to biker rallies and hand out tracks and people get saved. He left this one gang guy to the Lord when he's there and he realizes that he had to take him in his bus with his coach, with his family on the road because he can't leave him there, they'll kill him. 
So we had a girlfriend, brings a girlfriend. He's saying, I don't know if this is a good idea, but I'm doing it. So down the road, he hears him arguing one morning. And he's thinking, oh no, what did I get myself into? But he went to listen a little bit more, and this is what they were arguing. He's reading in the Bible, and he knew that sex outside of marriage was wrong. The girlfriend's saying, I want to have sex. And he goes, no, the book says no. She goes, I want to have sex. No, the book says no. (laughs) To get into this gang, he had to kill somebody. Bobby says, what are you going to do about that? Well, I guess I have to turn myself into the police. Yeah. Turn himself into the police. Probably spend the rest of his life in jail. But you know what he did? Good, I got sinners all around me. I can tell them about Jesus. <laughs> we got no idea. Home suffered a little bit because beef has gone up. <laughs> now I have to pay $80 for a steak. That's suffering. That ain't suffering. Hope. Hope. I've come here to encourage you today. Do not lose hope. And I finish with this. Proverbs says, uh, the heart is sick because we've lost hope. I forget what the verse is. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But the last part of that verse says this. But when the desire comes, it is the tree of life. Get the desire. Get the desire. Doesn't say faith. It says hope. Here's the thing about faith. People beat themselves up all the time. I don't have enough faith. Don't have enough faith. Read your Bible. Faith comes hearing. Yes. The church does not have a faith problem. It has a hearing problem. Hearing. It doesn't say faith comes by reading your Bible. It says by hearing. That's why we need the Spirit. To bring revelation of the Word. So I can hear the Spirit off of it. A lot of people memorize Scripture. Good for you. If that's all you're doing. Have you heard? Have you heard? See, when we begin to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, faith is not an issue. But we've taught it so bad. We taught faith bad. We did. If I only have more faith, if I only give more money, too many use manipulation in order in order to get it. We don't need to use manipulation. We don't need to use anything of this world. We just need the Spirit of God. Yes. Hearing. So the Lord's going to speak some things into your heart today. Where the desire for hope needs to come. Because it's time that we call those things that are not as if they are. Hope. 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 Father, I thank you today.
that you are good, good God. I thank you that your goodness and your mercy are not contingent on how anything to do with me. It's an absolute of who you are. I thank you that your word says that your mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God, when we are faithless, you are faithful. And what you have spoken, and many of you have dedicated your children to the Lord when they were a baby. <laughs> the Lord has not forgotten that. He is faithful to his word. You and your household will be saved. When we started Fireplace, my wife and I and my two boys, we sat down and said, we've got to model something for this community. We've got to model family. We've got to model family. Archie Binney came to our church and he said, he said to me, he said, Bob, I'm, your boys are just, you just look at something and they go do it. My boys have never, ever asked me to preach. Never. They wait for dad to come and say, you're going to preach. He said, we trust you, dad. We're here to honor you. I don't deserve it. But I'm so blessed. If God can do that for me, he can do it for you. And I'm here to tell you, get ready. Let the desire of hope now rise up in your heart. In Jesus' name, I speak to every life right now. I pray in those dormant areas in their life where hope is dissipated, Lord, where the things of this world has crept in and lies from the enemy has come in. We break those things off right now in Jesus' name. We sever their ties right now. And I pray that there will be a desire of hope that will rise up in your church. Lord, I pray that there will be a release of the Caleb's. They would be a release of the Joshua. Lord, that this will be the generation that will rise up, the older and the younger, working together in, in, in unity, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this place. This is the patriarch place of the area. There's a connection between Community Church, Lighthouse Church, Fireplace Church, and Stony Plain Baptist. Some of you don't know, but Rock Wago started here in this church. Chris, the four leaders, we need to sit down. Yeah. We need to sit down together and have a conversation. And I've already talked to Rock and he's totally game. My Baptocostal friend, Rock Wago. I know him so well now. Can I said, so Rock, how much do you speak in tongues? Well, a little bit more around you, Bob, and around you. God is up to something. He's going to heal us of the past and set us to go forward for the future. We're going to sever all those hurts because the truth is Chris had nothing to do with you anyway. You weren't even around. <laughs> the timing's right. It's right. And hope's going to arise. 
we're going to see the greatest things. This place is going to be full to overflowing. People are going to come. People say, well, the lost won't come into the church. Lie. They will come to the church. Thanks for that clap. So some people believe we got to get creative and we got to do. No, they will come. Light always attracts darkness. But darkness loses every time. Shambok said one time, he says, sometimes I feel sore for the devil. Poor, poor devil. He says, he's like the wily coyote. He just never wins. <laughs> never wins. I tell people all the time, the devil... You could correct me if I'm wrong in this, if I, this is, but I call the devil the bastard. Why do I use that term? Because he's fatherless. That's what it means. We have a father. We're not bastards. But the devil is. And that's why he's so mad. It's why he's so angry, because he does not have a relationship. He hates you. Because <laughs> you have a relationship with the father. Poor, poor bastard. He just never knew what was going to hit him when he made that decision to leave heaven. Bought a lie. We are a generation. This is Jacob. That know their God and will do great exploits. Amen. Amen. Okay, don't leave here going, oh man, he swore three times. <laughs> he preached a message of hope. We need that hope in Jesus, amen? Yeah. I know we're past our time, but we said we're going to do something. We're going to pray for the Fireplace Church. So Bob, why don't you just stand up and then we're going to release you right after that. I want our leadership just to come around, Bob. And I just want you, if you're willing, please just stand and extend your hands. Because as a church, we, we just really want to bless Fireplace. But more than that, it's the people who attend there. Right? It's Bob. It's his son. It's his wife. It's his family. And what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture he showed us today of a father who just doesn't quit fighting. There's always hope. It doesn't matter how many years. There's always hope. And now I believe Bob and his family are assigned to all of us. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God can do and how he redeems. That's who he is if we don't give up. Right? Get in his presence every day. And he will meet all of our needs. Oh my goodness, my heart has been touched today. Father, as a church, Spruce Grove Community Church, we are not in competition with Fireplace. We are brothers and sisters, and we choose to walk with them. And today, we bless, we bless, we bless, we bless in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we pray for life. We pray for salvation. Father, we pray for vision. We pray for growth. 
God, we pray that your hand would fall upon Bob and his sons, God, and that the Lord would minister and speak and guide and lead. And Father God, that all of us together would see the fruit, the fruit of our labor, the fruit of our prayers, all the intercession that's taken place. God, may we see the fruit. May we see the fruits. And I just hear the Lord saying to all those in here, you prayer warriors, the fruit's coming. Be faithful. The fruit's coming. The fruit's coming. The fruit's coming. So we bless in the name of Jesus Christ. We bless in the name of Jesus Christ. We bless. We bless. Can we say amen as a church? That needs to be the heart of the church. No more competition. No more comparing. We bless and we walk with one another because we have a mission on this earth. And we're going to see it fulfilled because he is our king. Amen.